Welcome to a Witch's Witch Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Haley Punt. This is the second episode, and I hope you all had a great week. Hope you enjoyed your super moon or your super pink moon. Hope you got all of your materials charged up really nice, ready for some new energy work. I actually tried to charge every stinking crystal in this house. It was a crazy long process but even with the crazy long process i still managed to make moon water for the first time and i'm super excited to be using that in my coffee and teas in the morning um, just to see what effects it might bring whether it's keeping me more alert or more focused or just giving me a little bit of an energy boost in the morning so we're gonna see what that does for me in the mornings and i will definitely be updating y'all and letting you know and what i would recommend for um, moon water if I would recommend you to drink it in the mornings or if I thought maybe it worked better for some other times. So I would definitely be keeping you updated on that. Now back to my crazy long schedule for my crystals and all that. So again the process takes forever. I gather all my crystals and I run a salt bath in my sink and I throw them all in there let them soak and cleanse themselves and all this good old stuff and then I take them out and I put them in the moonlight. Now I would prefer to put them outside on my porch. It doesn't always work like that because my porch isn't the best for setting crystals on. So I tend to find windowsills where the moonlight is shining really well and I will set them there to be able to absorb the moonlight. Now it's it's not ideal but it definitely it does the job so I can't complain too much. If that's not something that you usually do, um, talking about cleansing your crystals, maybe you should look into it. Maybe try it out because crystals actually absorb energy, even if you're not using them. So if you just have them sitting around for decor or you have them sitting around in, um, in a box or you actually have used them, they tend to absorb energies and then you tend to use them in your energy work later not even knowing it and you might not get the best results. So if that's not something you usually do, maybe try it. See if it gets you better results. I would recommend it. That's something I do, but to each their own. So again, we're going to get back to my crazy long schedule for the crystals. So with all that being said, I even managed to do meditation, which I'm really excited about because the energy was crazy that night. I don't know if y'all could feel it, but it was radiating off of the ground. It was absolutely amazing. I sat down and instantly, as soon as I grounded myself and I started to lift my vibrations, I started getting dizzy, lightheaded. I literally could feel the the energy rising up through me and it was oh man it was the best meditation I have had in a while and I'm so thankful that I made time for it and I didn't skip out like I almost did so if you did miss the supermoon don't fret don't worry I know I'm sitting here talking about all the things you should have done during the supermoon but you can still use other phases of the moon Now, depending on what you're wanting to do and what type of energy or spell work you're doing, you might want to look into the phase of the moon. Certain phases help with certain spells. So, just some examples for you is the new moon helps with setting goals. The first quarter moon helps with healing or finding new love. And the waning gibbous helps with cleansing and protection. Now, today is actually the last quarter moon that is halfway from the full moon to the new moon. So right now they recommend you to do rest. 
rest, 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 and self, um, self work now or self care, whichever you want to call it. But work on yourself. Spend time on you. Do you relax? Because all the energy work you have done from the full moon till now, you have to do that again from now until the new moon. So you have a lot of energy that you are going to have to dig back down into. So build it up, get yourself together, recharge, and get ready for all the work that you have to come. So since the universe is telling you to rest, how about go get you a snack or a cup of coffee? Because we're about to go into storytelling mode on some folklore and history of witchcraft. We've all seen how mainstream media presents witches. I'm talking about Snow White's evil stepmother, the queen, and the green, warty, wicked witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. Or, my personal favorite, these Sanderson sisters from the Hocus Pocus. Have you ever wondered why mainstream media presents witches with warts? It actually stems from history and folklore. So, in the 17th century, warts were seen as the devil's mark and helped justify accusations of witchcraft. Now, looking back on documented witch trials, witch marks usually correlated into witch hunts. So, you're probably asking, what was the devil's mark? It was a permanent marking of the devil on his servants to seal their deal and carry out his evil doings. Well, at least that's what it was thought to be. Most were just moles, birthmarks, and warts. The reality of it is, most people were probably just more prone to warts in the past due to their poor hygiene. I'd really, really love to think that there was more to it than just warts and skin tags, but sadly, that's what most of it was, along with normal people who were just known as healers, or so-called wise women, being accused and facing the same fatality, hung or burned at the stakes. The devil's mark was a huge indication of a witch, but they actually went by seven bizarre witch trial tests, and here we're going to talk about them all and do a short rundown of them. The second one was the swimming test. So, once accused, you would be drugged down to the nearest body of water, stripped down to your undergarments, bound, and then thrown into the water to see if you would sink or float. The idea behind this was that witches hissed at the sight of baptism, so it was thought that water would reject them and prevent them from submerging into the bodies of water. So, innocent people would sink like a stone. This swim trial derived from the trial by water. This was an ancient practice where suspected criminals were thrown into rushing rivers to allow a higher power to decide their fate. This trial was banned in the Middle Ages in many places but was then renamed and brought back for the witches in the 17th century. The third one is the prayer test. Okay, so medieval wisdom believed that witches couldn't speak scripture aloud. Accused sorcerers were made to recite verses from the Bible, which were usually a Lord's Prayer, without making any mistakes. Any errors were viewed as proof of the devil's work. This test was usually counted as hard evidence for a sentencing. Now that would be enough to make anyone nervous, and many people at the time were still illiterate. During the Salem witch trials, a accused sorcerer named George Burroughs recited the verse flawlessly from the gallows right before his execution. It was dismissed as the devil's trick, and his hanging proceeded as planned. The fourth test was the touch test. 
This test worked on the idea that the victims of sorcery would have a reaction to physical contact with their evildoers. There was a famous case of this in the 1662 trial of the Rose, Colander, and Amy Denny, who were two elderly English women charged with bewitching a pair of young girls. The girls would throw fits that would leave their fists clenched so tight that even the strongest men in the town could not open them. The girls showed that their fists would easily open when elderly women Cullender and Denny touched them. Now, the judges then blindfolded the girls and had several members of the court to lay a hand on the girls. The young girls showed false when their hands would open to other people. Even with seeing that, the court ruled Cullender and Denny as witches and they were hung. Number five, witch cakes. This was a form of a kitchen witch. They would make a dessert used to identify suspected sorcerers. If a person was to fall ill suddenly, a witch hunter would take a sample of the victim's urine, mix it in with rye meal, ashes, and bake it into a cake. It was then fed to a dog in hopes that the beast would fall under the sorcerer's spell and reveal the name. The slave, famously known as Tichuba, helped prepare a witch cake to identify a sorcerer who bewitched Betty Paris and others. When the cake failed to work, people turned to Tichuba and her knowledge of making the witch cake and used this against her in accusations of being a witch. Number six, pricking and scratching. If witch hunters struggled to find a witch mark on the suspect, they would resort to the practice of pricking. It was known in the old times that a witch mark was insensitive to pain and couldn't bleed. The examiners would find dull needles to repeatedly stab the accused person's flesh until they found a desired result of no blood. A lot of the time, scratching would follow pricking. The accused then got scratched by the victims. The idea behind this test was that possessed people would find relief by scratching the person responsible with their fingernails until they drew blood. If the victim's symptoms improved after scratching the accused's skin, it was seen as partial evidence of guilt. Number seven, the final one, is incantations, also known as charging. This test involved the accused witch to verbally order the devil to let the possessed victims come out of their fit or trance. The judges then would gauge whether it had any effect on the victim's condition. This was also a famous trial in the 16th century, witch trial of Alice Samuel, her husband, and their daughter. They were accused of bewitching a group of girls from a wealthy family. The three were forced to call upon the devil to release the girls from their trance by stating, As I am a witch, so I charge the devil to let Mistress Throckmorton come out of her fit at this present. When the girls immediately recovered, the Samuel family was hung as witches. Sadly, these tests were not accurate in testing for witches, and many innocent people died. Obviously, with all these crazy trials and tests, people started to get the heck out of Dodge and started to travel onward. The first recorded witch was named Alice Keitler from 1263 to later than 1325. She was the first recorded person to be condemned of witchcraft in Ireland. She escaped by fleeing the country, but her servant who was left behind paid the price. Witches did exist then, and they do now, but not in the way that history made it seem. They didn't do the devil's work, and most of them weren't even trying to hurt people. They worked with nature, nature's energy pools. They used crystals and herbs to intensify their spells. In all honesty, they were just wise women for their time and found medicinal usage for plants and worked with what the universe gave them. So, what am I saying? 
I don't believe that there are real witches or bloodlines. I really do know that some people are going to have a very different opinion of this, but I do not think that the craft comes from a bloodline. I think that everyone holds the power to speak to the universe and receive its messages back. You just have to practice and learn to listen. Some are born a little bit more advanced than others. They may be able to hear or see beyond this realm. Or maybe they are amazing healers, but that doesn't mean you can't do the same. We learned that some people are just more advanced than us in school, right? So that doesn't mean that we can't do it, just means we need a little bit more practice. Witchcraft in the 17th century isn't much different than witchcraft in the modern day to me. And this is very, very opinionated, but witchcraft to me is a spiritual connection deep within yourself and to all forms of life around you. That's plants, animals, and yes, even us human beings. It's using the energies that surround us daily to manifest even more positive energies into the world. It's taking a small breeze and turning it into gratitude. That the timing was just right for you to get that calming overwash as you felt the breeze run across your skin and deep into your lungs. It means truly being at peace. It's okay if this one could be hard to grasp at times. The point is not to be perfect in every way. It's to constantly be better than you were the day before. Self-growth is your goal. Letting your mind be at its brightest and your heart at its fullest, that is the real craft. Potions and brews are real too, but first take the time to ground yourself and learn the voice of the universe. You have to be able to understand her when she talks. Now to our last segment of the episode. What does a witch's witch hunt mean? So going based off of all the information I've talked about previously, it's pretty simple. Okay, so imagine this. You're going on a witch hunt on yourself. Essentially, you're going to find yourself. You're taking the voyage across plundering seas and vast forests just to keep finding yourself better than the last time. Again, self-growth is key. The sign-off phrase is happy hunting, and that just means enjoy learning you. If it's not fun, then maybe try a different approach because you can only be what you allow you to be. So be kind and always aspire to be better than yesterday. This journey should honestly be fun, and it should be sad at times if you're truly allowing yourself to be better. No two journeys will be the same. Yours is special for you. Alright, so that will be it for this episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about a basic witch 101. That should be fun. There's where we're going to talk about our tools, different tools we can use, some of my favorite tools. I will give recommendations to just some handy things that I think every witch should have and should work with. Um, We're going to talk about altars and how to set them up and what is an altar and just give the rundown of that. And we're going to learn some great grounding techniques. Now, I've already said in this episode something about grounding. It is very important and it's definitely something everyone should know and it's something that you should do before any energy um, work, I think. But yeah, next episode will be very important because the craft starts with you and your connection with yourself and the connection you have with the universe. You have to have those things before you can manifest, create, whatever you want to call it. It all starts with you and it all starts with your connections with things. So you got to work on yourself to be able to aspire to be better. I really hope that y'all enjoyed this. I hope y'all got something out of this. I had a ton of fun telling you about... Um, my experience with the supermoon and learning a little bit of history, learning about the odd trials that these people had to go through to prove that they weren't witches or 
working with the craft. It blows my mind that people thought these things were real, real as in so evil. They really thought that these these people were such evil doers and were trying to do harm to people and made these people suffer by going through all those torturous trials and tests. So I definitely put my sympathy out there for those people. I feel bad that they had to go through that. I'm so glad that we are now in a day where we are getting past that, that this is a lot more open, a lot more understanding. Once people know and understand what the craft is all about, what being quote-unquote witch is about, it's a lot more natural and spiritual than you might think. A lot of people, they just don't know. They just don't really know what it deals with or what it is. It seems very scary. So, you know... People just have to take the time to get to know, to learn a little bit. And then, you know, if if it's still not for them, you know, that's okay. It doesn't have to be. It's not for everyone. Um, But until then, I mean, just stay open-minded. Witchcraft falls under the pagan term. Pagan is an umbrella term that includes many different spiritual beliefs. The most popular or most heard of is Wicca. Now, I'm not a Wiccan, and I don't have anything against them, but I'm just too broad to be put under one label. I do have a whole episode on just my spirituality, so that will be coming for you to understand a little bit more. But bottom line, don't be afraid of the word pagan. It's okay to be spiritual and religious at the same time. Anyways, I can ramble on for a lot longer, so I had a lot of fun talking to y'all. Hope you enjoyed the episode again. Be sure to follow and share the podcast. You never know who might need to hear these messages. If you'd like to contact me or have any questions, you can always reach me through email. And my email is haley.punt at gmail.com. Or you can do it through the Facebook page. And that is uh, a Witches Witch Hunt podcast. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook. Following us on Facebook gets you entered into our welcome giveaway. That'll be taking place in a couple of weeks. And I will be announcing the winner on the Facebook page. So be sure to do that and go ahead and enter yourself in. The Facebook page is a great place to find podcast updates and podcast content. It's also a fun place to connect and communicate. So be sure to go there and get yourself entered in and become part of the community. But until next Tuesday, happy hunting.